Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. John 21 through 18, this is the word of the Lord. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. So Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The scene is, I've, I've said this time and time again, but this scene is one of my favorite scenes in all of Scripture. My, my favorite, uh, I'm glad this history got recorded for us. I mean, there are many different elements of this report that we could, we, all of us are probably mulling over in our minds right now. Peter and John running to the tomb after it is reported to them that his body had been taken away. Imagine, imagine their shock in hearing that body of the Lord's been taken away. And they get up and they run to the tomb and John reports, John's self-reporting on his, his physical prowess. 
he gets there first before, I'm not sure he's doing that, but he, he, uh, he adds the detail nonetheless that he got there and ran ahead of Peter and went in. And then we see the linen wrappings, right? They're just lying there. They had been on Jesus. One is rolled up as if it's been uh, not just torn off, but um, removed. And the strange statement about the apostles, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. You know, John didn't believe that until he went into that tomb and saw the linen wrappings. And that's why it says, and then he believed, right? And then, strangely enough, they just go back home. You know, John believes he's probably about to burst out of his skin and they go home. But then, then there's Mary Magdalene and her relationship to her Savior. Uh, this, is, this passage is the reason we named Maggie Magdalene. I wanted a constant reminder of this passage. So we read this passage on her birthday. And um, anyway, she's in the nursery, isn't she? Go ahead. But do you remember Mary Magdalene? Do you remember the details about Mary Magdalene? She, um, remember this, Mark 16, 9 refers to Mary as the one from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. Not one, not two. Seven demons. Before she knew Jesus, Mary Magdalene was a tortured soul. She was, I mean, quite literally a tortured soul. Those demons would have been messing with her mind and her body, right? In Luke chapter 8, the only section outside of the Passion narratives that mention Mary Magdalene, we read this. Soon afterwards... Jesus began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. We also know this about Mary Magdalene. While the apostles were scattered as Jesus was hanging from the cross, Mary Magdalene was there next to him, close to him, watching from near the cross. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. She would have heard those seven words from the cross that Jesus spoke there. She would have personally witnessed the agony of the one who had freed her from these seven demons. She loved him so deeply. She was so thankful for how much he had done for her. I mean, think about the radical change of Mary Magdalene's life. From demon-possessed outcast, most likely, to follower 
and patron of Jesus Christ and the Twelve Apostles. Some confusion uh, about whether Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. I believe that she was she needs to be distinguished from the woman who anointed Jesus with the oil and wiped his hair with her feet. Um, I mean, wiped her, his feet with her hair. Um, that woman's beautiful act is recorded at the end of Luke 7, and then Mary Magdalene is mentioned in the early part of Luke 8. And so because of the proximity, some believe that that was Mary Magdalene. I don't think it was Mary Magdalene. Um, she was... Possessed by seven demons, but she was not a prostitute. Nevertheless, she would not have been good company. Right? Mary Magdalene, who was demon-possessed seven times over, would have been known for, likely, her out-of-control behavior, her sinful behavior, her uh, just uh, violence, you know, aggressiveness with her tongue, just... Never, never being comfortable, always moving, just tortured, a tortured soul. Think of the man out of whom Legion was cast. You remember that, that guy? When Jesus got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him. And the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. With seven demons cast out of one woman, there would have been some sort of similarities to that. And when seven demons are cast out of one woman, there would have been radical change. Instantaneous radical change. Instantaneous removal of affliction, right? Think of the, re- <laughs> Think of the reputation she would have had. She was probably notorious for that erratic, dangerous, strange, uncontrolled behavior. People didn't want to be around her. And certainly this physical possession was accompanied by corresponding sins that she gave herself to. Mary Magdalene had had seven, seven demons. One demon would be horrendous torture. Seven demons cast from her. So it's safe to assume that when those demons were cast out, there was change. Change by Jesus' healing, change by Jesus' mercy in her life. And in fact, that, that, is, that is the way Jesus' mercy works in all men's lives. There's radical change. There is radical change. Changes come upon the man or woman, young or old, who truly comes to know Jesus Christ. Conversion. Regeneration, right? That indwelling of the Spirit, that change, radically changes an individual from serving the devil to serving Jesus Christ. No, you know, um, you know, conversion, going from conversion, going from unbelief is different than going from possession to belief. It's an extra step. 
But the change is still radical. I mean, think of, think of what we become when, think of the change when we go from, from being under the prince of the power of the air to being converted in Jesus Christ. We go from death to life. I mean, need I go on? That's a radical change. Death to life. Dead. Unable to do any spiritual good whatsoever. Dead. Unable. And then alive. We go from hard-hearted to fleshy-hearted. We go from reigning under the, you know, being under the reigning control of sin to being under the reigning control of of a benevolent God. We go from the old man to the new man. We go from separated from Christ to united with him. We go from born of the flesh to born of the spirit. We go from darkness into light. We go from an enemy of God to a lover of God, from a slave of sin to, um, and the prince of the power of the air to a slave of Almighty God. That's the radical transformation that occurs in the Christian's life. And Presbyterians need to come to terms with that. Reformed Presbyterians need to come to terms with the fact that their covenant children must demonstrate radical change. We'll never back off of this. Right? If it makes me sound like a Reformed Baptist, so be it. But there should be an expectation that if the Holy Spirit lives in your child or does not yet live in your child and they need to be converted, that at that point there will be radical change. Radical change in understanding, radical change in their character, in their works, in, in their motives. Everything will change, right? We reform types... Talk about how repentance is kind of hard to see and conversion is sometimes quiet and passive. Mm -mm. No way. Nope. I just don't see how life in Christ could be anything other than radical change. Now that's certainly true if you're an adult. It will be radical change, right? It will be radical change with continuing radical change for the rest of your life as you repent and grow in maturity, right? But there is radical change. Um, Many of you would tell of how, how God radically changed you in a moment, like the conversion of the Apostle Paul, like the casting out of the demons of Mary Magdalene, like the, the apostles who in a moment left their nets, right? left behind all of their livelihood and went and followed Christ, whom they didn't even know. Right? Like the multitudes who in the book of Acts heard the apostle Peter preaching and and immediately cried out, what must we do to be saved? And so should this change, this tangible, perceivable, radical change be absent from your Christian walk, Brothers and sisters, young men and young women, 
Should there be no time period in your life in the church and walk with the Lord where you can say the scales were removed from your eyes? Should there be no new birth? Should there be no heart in your head faith, right? Should there be no fear of God and trembling before him as you work out your salvation? Should there be no works accompanying your faith? Then I fear for you. I really do fear for you. Should there be no pursuit of holiness and radical break with sin? I fear for you. I fear the Holy Spirit has yet to penetrate your radically hard heart. Inherited from Adam. Inherited from your very parents. Right? I fear there may be many unconverted in the church who, who only intellectually know Jesus. Just intellectually. Who have not been changed radically by the Holy Spirit. Mary Magdalene's great love for Jesus was born from his great love and work for her in her healing, in her conversion and restoration. Though you may not need demons to be exercised from you, you may have a hard heart that must be changed. Can this be done when you are young? Certainly. You can be very, very young. You could be negative in age and it happen, right? That's what happened with John the Baptist, <laughs> right? John the Baptist, it seems, um, was radically changed even in the womb. His conversion, though, led him to do something. It led him to kick his mother's gut, you know, when he was in the presence of his Savior. That was his act of praise that day. Bam! Right in the rib. He demonstrated the work of the Lord in his soul right there. Should there be nothing you can point to, no triumph over a specific sin, no burning desire to get into the presence of God's people and worship Him, right? No zeal to know more and more about what is written in the Word about your Heavenly Father. If you have very little love for your brothers in the church, no awe of, of God's utter holiness and uh, your desire to to demonstrate it. No demonstrated love like that of Mary Magdalene who stood outside of Jesus' empty tomb and wept her eyes out. Well, then you may not know Jesus Christ, Son of God. Or you do know Jesus, but you know him like the demons know him. They believe in him, but they never put their trust in him. They believe in him, but they don't break their knees and bow and worship. They believe in him, but they don't obey him. They believe. Should there only be lips that are willing to honor God, but a heart that is far from him, you may still be in your sins. If this is the case, I beg you, to quote the Apostle Paul, I beg you to call upon him. Call upon him. I urge you to put on hold every other duty you may have and instead call 
on Jesus to change your heart. Knock and he will open the door to you. Do it. Then you, like Mary Magdalene, will know a new outlook, a new freedom, a new trust, a new way to live uh, each day, a new hope, a new radically changed life. Radically. Even if you've grown up in the church and you've never been outside of the walls of a Reformed Presbyterian church, you will know radical change. Because your heart will be filled with actual joy. Now notice this too about this passage. Mary does not recognize Jesus. She doesn't recognize him. After conversing with the angels, verse 14 says, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. So she's looking face to face at Jesus. She turned around and saw him standing there. And did not know that it was Jesus, it says. I don't think that she is only preoccupied or distracted, right, and just can't make sense of this. Though there are times when I've been so shocked by something that I, I don't recognize obvious things around me, right? That happens to all of us. In this case, that could partially explain her ignorance, but really I think there's something different about Jesus. There's something different about Jesus here. This is not the only time after Jesus' resurrection that someone did not recognize him. Right? So too, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, you remember, they did not recognize him. Luke 24, 16 makes it clear that God had made it so that those men would not recognize him. It says, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And also at the end of the book of John, Chapter 21, we read that Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and James and John uh, get into a boat to fish. Jesus appears off on the shore, and they are close enough that Peter can swim to the shore faster than a boat can get there. Um, hundred yards, we're told. But verse 4 says, But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. It was not until the miracle of the fish that Peter figured out who it was. It's the Lord, he yells. It's the Lord. So Jesus has changed. He's changed. He's still a man. But he's taken God Almighty's blows for our sins. His body was, has suffered and died, and now he's alive. He's alive, right? He's the first fruits of those who were asleep. He's the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything, right? This is now resurrected manhood. This is resurrected manhood. This is no longer the likeness of sinful flesh, flesh that can decay and die. This body is now glorified and perfected manhood. It has glorious strength. It has profound majesty. Yes, his body. What was, you know, what once was in a sense vulnerable is now sanctified, beatified, resurrected from death to life. And so did the resurrection make his appearance change? Perhaps seems so. Did they have eyes to recognize him? No, not at first. 
as the passage about Jesus on the road to Emmaus stated. Mary can look straight at this guy, straight at someone she knows dearly, someone she loves, someone she, she was with day in, day out, and not know it's him. So it seems his appearance has changed. This is glorified manhood. This is triumphant manhood. This is second Adam glorified. So when does Mary recognize Jesus? When he does what? When he says her name. He says her name, Mary. At first, Jesus addresses her generically. He says, woman, I mean, it's kind of like I can see a half smile on his face. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Mary Magdalene pleads with the man and supposes that this is some, some jokester sort of foolish gardener. You know, and, and he pleads with him, tell me where you've taken my Savior's body. Tell me and I'll go take it away. And then Jesus just says her name, Mary. Mary. And she knows who has spoken to her. She knows who has spoken to her, right? He speaks her name with the same inflection that he had used, you know, when they had been together. Maybe right after those demons were cast out, Jesus sat down with her and, he's, and, and he said, Mary, be free. And he remembers that tone of voice. And when he says Mary, she's like, it's my Savior. One commentary remarks on this, when Mary had supposed him to be only the gardener, she had no interest in him or anything he might say. But now she had heard her name from Jesus' lips, and as sheep know the voice of their shepherd when he calls them by name, so she recognized him and responded joyfully. Jesus had called her by name, he knew her, she knew him, and some hours before when she looked at Jesus dying on the cross, she thought she would never hear the word, any words out of the mouth of her dear Jesus again, never hear him speak, and then she hears his voice. I mean, what joy! What joy! It's not the joy that God gives us in this life. But we will have a similar sort of joy when we are amongst our loved ones in the next. What joy it will be to hear Mary's voice. Oh, man. Mary Wolf, I mean. But Mary Magdalene's too. She responds by saying in Hebrew, my teacher, Rabboni, Rabboni, my teacher. Now, do you know Jesus in this way? Do you know him as yours? Is he yours? Seriously. Is that too evangelical for a Reformed pastor to ask a silly, simple question like that? Is Jesus yours? D. 
Do you know him as yours? Do you know him in such a way that you are assured he knows your name? Do you know him as a friend, as a savior, as a teacher, as a, as a father? I keep coming back from time to time to this expression of Jonathan Edwards from his personal narrative. But it demonstrates to us the kind of relationship I'm talking about and the kind of relationship I wish I saw among you and in my own relationship with the Lord. The kind that Mary Magdalene had, and this is what what Edwards says about his faith, I found from time to time an inward sweetness that would carry me away in my contemplations This I know not how to express otherwise other than by a calm, sweet abstraction of the soul from all the concerns of this world. And sometimes a kind of vision or fixed ideas and imaginations of being alone in the mountains or some solitary wilderness wilderness far from all mankind, sweetly speaking with Jesus. And wrapped up and swallowed up in God. The sense I had of divine things would often of a sudden kindle up as it were a sweet burning in my heart, an ardor of soul that I know not how to express. Do you have that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have that? Is there times when you are weeping before God and you're pouring out your heart and you're singing His praises? I fear for those who have heads filled with all kinds of facts about Jesus. Even all kinds of history with Jesus, but can walk away from him, cannot give an ounce of thought when away from church or away from Christian friends. Those who do not have a constancy of thought about the lover of their souls. How in in the world can we not have a constancy of thought? in someone who's been so gracious to us. Is Jesus in your thoughts when you are all alone? As Mary supposed she was at the tomb. Mary Magdalene couldn't abide the thought of being without her Jesus, and so she goes to the grave when no one else went to the grave. She's like, I've got to be with my Jesus. I've got to be there right? Do you know Jesus? Do you simply long to be with him where he is? Some of you long, yes, to conquer death. Some of you long to uh, live forever. Some of you um, long to be free from diseases and pains. But, But do you long to be with Jesus Christ, the Son of God? The only way to overcome death in a happy way is to long for the one who has already overcome death, right? Mary wants to be with her Lord and Savior. She misses a person. She doesn't miss a theology or a concept or a tradition or a building or a philosophical whatever, right? She misses Jesus, the man. Her God. And 
And we see how much she misses him in her actions. When she understood that the man in front of her was Jesus, she wraps her arms around him, right? She clings to Jesus. And Jesus says, stop clinging to me. It's very hard passage to read. I, I really want to know Jesus' tone of voice. I, he's not annoyed in the least. Right? It, it is a just, we've got things to do here. You know, stop clinging to me. He's not being unkind or short-tempered. The words that follow are some of the most gracious words that Jesus ever spoke. They are filled with glorious meaning. Jesus says, I ascend to my Father and your Father. And my God and your God. Now remember, it's only been three days since all the apostles, save John, abandoned Jesus. When the shepherd was hanging from the tree, the sheep were scattered. And no doubt Peter is off just deeply grieving his betrayal. Licking the wounds of his conscience after denying Jesus three times. And so Jesus here wants Mary to go tell all those deserters. (laughs) Those deniers, those cowards, those sinners that they share a God and Father with the Almighty Son. I mean, what grace again from Jesus, not to be offended by the betrayals of those around him, but again, just loving them, serving them. They're stupendous words. These words express the deepest kind of love. This is is the redemptive love of God towards sinners, that the Son of God would say, my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Once again, Jesus is willing to share his Father. Do you see what that means for you and me? Wrapped up in that confession of Jesus is the content of Hebrews 10, which says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, by which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We are united to Christ. The life you now live is one of fellowship with Almighty God. We've been adopted into his family. I mean, Jesus' crucifixion, you realize, is selflessness on a cosmic scale. He who eternally fellowshiped with his glorious Father, submitted to his will to save miserable creatures, took on the flesh, died on a tree as a curse, conquered death, and were we in Jesus' place, we would then feel like, okay, it's time that I get some father time. I'm finished. John 17, that prayer would have ended in a different place, not with us creatures knowing the love of the Father, but just with the Son praying that I want to be back with you. Haven't I done enough? I just want to be back with you, Father. 
let's, let's, let's restore what was broken on the cross, but still utterly selfless, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, shares the Father. I send to my Father and your Father. So my God and your God, such gracious words to Mary, right? Where I go, you will go. What I have, you will have. What I am, you are, a son of the almighty God. My God and your God. So do you have faith in Jesus Christ? All of you here this morning, God brought you here for a purpose, some purpose. It was to hear the word of God preach. And I ask you this, do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know him, right? If so you will one day rise from the dead to a resurrection of life if you know Jesus. Celebrate the fact that he has gone to be with the Father as you will one day go to be with the Father. Celebrate the fact that Jesus forever dwells within the wonderful light of the Father who is love, just as you will dwell forever in that eternal world of love. But if you do not know Jesus, you will also be resurrected. But it won't be a resurrection to life, it will be a resurrection to death. And if, instead of hearing, uh, hearing that familiarity that my God and your God, you will, you will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. There's no more radically different words than that in the history of the cosmos. Okay? But it's not too late. Come to faith. Come to Christ. Believe in him. And you'll be resurrected to life and not to death. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you, your word would accomplish the purpose that you have set forth for it. I pray that it would go out and powerfully hammer the hearts of the people who have heard this message this morning. And in hammering hard hearts, I pray that it would break away the stone and leave flesh behind. And that there would be faith, joy, radical change, warmth, Warmth and affection towards you. A heart filled with thanksgiving, always ready to express our thanks. Father, do this work for your glory, the glory of your Son, the glory of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.